Hello and welcome to Bread. We're a newish, open-minded, spirit-filled, non-denominational church meeting in the Los Feliz area of Los Angeles. We're the kind of Christians who like the Bible a lot, but we're not going to thump you with it. We believe in the world-changing power of Jesus and the present-day work of the Holy Spirit to change things. Right now, the whole world is in a process of adapting to new realities, and so are we. Building community and sharing all this love and power suddenly seems like it might become a bit more challenging. But really, how lucky are we that we're facing all this in the 21st century? Throughout the duration of this new world coronavirus order, we'll be doing all of church online. But we're not afraid. We worship a God who is bigger than all of this, who's seen it all before, and will work all things together for the good of those who love him. We love you, and we're here. Stay in touch and enjoy this podcast. Hello, good morning, everyone. I wanted to start off by introducing a new member of our Bread Church. He's called Russell, and he's my full beard. Please make him feel welcome. Now, I don't want to talk for very long this morning. I think all of us have had enough people talking at them for quite some time, probably to last us for a while. As Hannah mentioned, many of us, I think, are feeling exhausted. I don't want to add to the exhaustion. But I do want to talk briefly about what I feel like uh, God wants to speak to us about and also where God is in all that's going on in our country. And I hope that that, rather than add to the exhaustion, actually helps us um, feel a bit more alive and hopeful. Please know that Hannah and I are praying for all of you. We're praying that God will be with you, that God uh, shows more of himself to you. And please know that we love you and we are with you too. Now, earlier this week, I felt as I was praying that God spoke to me about what he wanted us as a church to know. So I'm going to share that with you and you can weigh it up in your own heart and mind and see how God speaks to you through it. And what I believe God is saying is that in the midst of all of this, look at me. Look at him. Look at him once more, the bright morning star, the sun in the sky. Now, the injustices of racism that much of this country is currently facing up to, which, let's be absolutely clear, are not new, anything but. They have been sewn into the very fabric of this country since the beginning. These wrongs and the wounds that they have caused are old and they've run very, very deep. And so if if we are to see justice and if we're to see healing, it's vital that we do not shy away from addressing them. But if the problem, if these problems are our primary focus, they will soon overwhelm us because they are overwhelming. They run that deep and they have that much power. And I'm sure many of us have actually felt overwhelmed. And when we're overwhelmed, we're of course no use to anyone. Now God, I believe, is calling us to look instead at him. Now, I understand if that sounds like a bit of a cop-out, another white pastor telling us that we really need to focus on God rather than actually doing something about injustice. But please know that that's not what I'm saying, as I hope you will see as we proceed. Rather, as we look at him, we see 
all that we face and must overcome through the prism not of some broken, difficult, earthly political ideas, not through the prism of hatred, not through the prism of ideological divisions, but through the prism of God's perfect justice, his pure justice, the only real lasting hope for our world. Now, one reason we might find it difficult to look at God is if we're not sure whether he really cares. Perhaps he's more interested in whether you pray today, or your doctrine, or whether you're going to heaven, or your personal morality, than he is interested in the fact that a black woman was shot to death by white policemen as she slept in her own home. A second reason why it might be difficult for us to look to him or look at him is if we're not sure that even though he may care, he's actually going to do anything about it. I want to talk to both of those concerns. Now, a verse that has uh, popped up on my social media feed a lot, maybe on yours too, is Malachi 6.8. It's effectively an Old Testament summary of what it is to follow God. He has shown you, O mortal, it says, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Now, we're actually going to unpack this over the next three weeks, but to begin with, I want to talk specifically about that first command, to act justly. Now, the justice of God is one of the most misunderstood terms in the Bible. The Hebrew word is mishfat, and it occurs about 200 times in the Old Testament. It literally means to give someone their due, and it works both negatively and positively. In the negative sense, it means to bring to justice the evildoer, irrespective of their race, their position, their influence, their power, their age, the same misfat for everyone. It means to capture and prevent and stop evil being enacted. When crimes are not punished, misfat is not being done properly. It's why we instinctively rejoice when perpetrators are caught and why we are instinctively appalled when they run free. In Christian terms, it's not because we want anyone to suffer. I don't think as Christians we ever want people to suffer. We don't want them to pay for their crimes. It's actually rather because we know that justice needs to be done. Because we, made in the image of God, of the God who doesn't just think justice is a good idea but is justice, share with his justice DNA. And that justice DNA speaks to us. And it's weaved into the whole fabric of God's societal plans from the very beginning. But misfat doesn't just work negatively, it also works positively. It means giving the oppressed and the weak and the outcasts and the victims their due too. Now, most people would believe in the basic statement of everyone is equal. Left or right, conservative or liberal, black or white, nearly everyone can agree all people being equal therefore should be treated equally. And the Bible certainly says this loud and clear. Everyone is made in the image of God. There is no slave or free, Jew or Gentile, male or female, all are one in Christ Jesus. This is the absolute basic level of justice. Of course, all lives matter. And that's where some people would like to stop. This is justice we do not need to say anymore. But the Bible does not stop there. Because it does need to say more. And if we're Christians, we're going to have to follow it. Yes, all people should be treated equally. 
but throughout the biblical narrative, over and over again, it goes deeper. It says all lives are equal, but some lives require particular focused concern. Now, there are plenty of examples of this, but let's hear one in particular from the prophet Zechariah's take on it in chapter 7. Then the word of the Lord Almighty came to me. Ask all the people of the land and the priests, when you fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh months for the past 70 years, was it really for me that you fasted? And when you were eating and drinking, were you not just feasting for yourselves? Are these not the words the Lord proclaimed through the earlier prophets when Jerusalem and its surrounding towns were at rest and prosperous, and the Negev and the western foothills were settled? And the word of the Lord came again to Zechariah. This is what the Lord Almighty said. Administer true justice. Show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the foreigner or the poor. Do not plot evil against each other. So Zechariah, this is written after the Babylonian exile. It's one of the later books of the Old Testament. But the theme here is one that's actually echoed throughout the previous books, from Isaiah to Deuteronomy to the Psalms to Jeremiah. As verse 7 says, Are these not the words the Lord proclaimed through the earlier prophets? God has been saying this a lot through Israel's history. And what he's been saying over and again is this. Be very, very careful, people of God, about your outward displays of religious piety. Here in Zechariah, it's fasting and feasting. At other parts in the Old Testament, it is worship and sacrifice. Because, God says, if you're doing those things but you are not doing justice, then your worship is hollow and of very little consequence to God. Instead, do justice. But not just universal, all lives matter justice, specifically focused, targeted justice for those who need it most. Exodus 22, do not take advantage of the widow or the fatherless. Deuteronomy 24, do not deprive the foreigner or the fatherless of justice or take the cloak of the widow as a pledge. Psalm 146, the Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow. Isaiah 1. Learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. Get the theme? Jeremiah 22, do what is just and right, rescue from the hand of the oppressor the one who has been robbed, do no wrong or violence to the foreigner, the fatherless or the widow. And here in Zechariah, in verse 10, do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the foreigner or the poor. Over and over again, it's these four groups of people the widow, the fatherless or the orphan, the foreigner, and the poor or the oppressed who are in view when misfat justice is mentioned. Why? Well, isn't it so obvious? Because they are the most vulnerable, the ones who need justice the most. In pre-modern times, these people had no social power. If there was ever a famine or social unrest or political unrest, it was these people who were going to be the first to suffer. And it was these people who would also suffer the most. God does not say, make sure you're looking after all the men. He doesn't say, make sure you're looking after all the women. He doesn't even say, make sure you're looking after all the children. He is very specific. Widows, orphans, foreigners and the poor. This is the OG ethos 
of which Black Lives Matter is a contemporary iteration. Some lives just need more justice. So does God care? Well, yes, of course, but he does so much more than just care. To say that God cares suggests that he finds it in himself to have some compassion. It's something that he chooses to do. But this isn't quite true. To say that would be to say something akin to what God primarily wants is for people to worship him or to obey him, but also he does care and he cares about justice because he's got a heart of gold. This is not what the Bible says. He doesn't just care about justice, he is justice. Psalm 68 introduces God like this, I am the father of the fatherless and defender of the widow. Not, I care about justice for the fatherless and the widows, but I am justice for the fatherless and the widows. Which is to say, for us as Christians, as followers of him, justice is not an optional extra. And neither can it be reduced to charity. Something we choose to do out of the goodness of our hearts, you know, because we're so kind and so wonderful. Justice is us, because justice is our God. So second question, is he doing anything and will he do anything? An African-American friend of mine texted me the other day wondering whether actually anything is going to change off the back of this. Whether we will see or we will get any closer to racial justice off what's all going on right now. She wrote this in the text. I know that God is the only one who can change a heart. A system cannot, words cannot. Protests and riots even cannot. The change comes from within, the heart and mind. And unless those are shifted into a godlike understanding where all are truly created in his sight, I'm afraid this might just be a trending topic in a pandemic age. But I pray to Jesus for heart change. She's exactly right, of course. God is the only one who changes hearts. And hearts being changed is and always will be the fundamental, basic and most pressing need. And it's prayer, not argument or debate or protest, that is actually the most powerful weapon in the battle for hearts that are tuned to Jesus. So let us never ever stop praying. But God is not just in the business of changed hearts. Now, I know that a lot has been said recently about kneeling. And I understand those who would want to say there's actually only one person that we should kneel before, and that's God, not any other human. Now, I don't believe that anyone should be forced to kneel before anyone else. Indeed, actually forcing someone to kneel takes all the power out of the act of actually kneeling. Let us not force indignity on anyone. But also, let's consider Jesus. He, of course, knelt before his father when he prayed. But he also willingly and without compulsion, knelt before his disciples. And then he washed their stinking feet while he was down there. Even Judas's. It was, of course, a symbol of what he was going to finally achieve on the cross, the washing of hearts, of whole lives, new life born out of the victory over death and sin. But it wasn't just a symbol of something spiritual. Having washed their feet, Jesus says this, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. 
it was also symbolic of something societal. In the kingdom of Jesus, in God's society, the first are last and the last are first, and leadership is service. God is in the business of hearts and lives. He is in the business of spiritual reformation and societal redemption. He is in the business of devotion and justice. And God's rescue plan for the world is not a really good political party. It's not Democrats or Republicans. It's not a president. It's not even good old Queen Liz from off of England. It's much less grandiose than any of those things. God's rescue plan for the world is a church. His church made up of you and me. Psalm 146. Do not put your trust in princes, in human beings who cannot save. Instead, I'm asking us again to put our trust in him, which necessarily also means putting our trust in his rescue plan, the church. And in doing so, let us start and become again the church. To end, let's return to the verse with which we began. He has shown us mortals what is good. Now, when Hannah and I pack, or used to pack our girls off for sleepovers and playdates probably a million years ago before lockdown hit, we always used to have two parting words when we left them, which was, be good. And by be good, we meant, don't be rude. And don't break anything. And probably most importantly, please give the impression to your friends' parents that we, your parents, have really raised you well. But as you can see from a biblical perspective, goodness is far more than just being well behaved. It is about all areas of our life being affected by God's goodness, his justice, his mercy, his goodness, his love. And goodness flows not just from our own determination to be good people, but from actually his power within, it, within us to grow it. It is what Paul describes as part of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and yes, goodness. Now, all of us leak his Spirit intentionally and unintentionally, but his Spirit is there to fill us once more. Over and over again, Paul describes it as being pressed down, overflowing. And it enables us to pray. It enables us to protest. It enables us to petition. It enables us to effect sea change in this country, not in our own power, but in the power of Almighty God. The desperate need for justice in this country, in our world, depends on us, his church. So let us look at him again. Let us see him again and let us receive from him. So that's it, really. And in a minute, Ben is going to lead a song of worship. But I want to encourage us all to open ourselves again to his spirit. Whether you're exhausted, whether you've lost hope, whether you're excited for change, whatever position you're in, let us look at him again. It is an act of faith. It is saying that he is who he says he is. He is the king of justice and he is the one we need in order to see justice in our land. So let me pray for all of us as Ben begins to play. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are justice.
and we admit that we are torn in spirit, in mind, in emotions about all the injustice we see in our land and we ask you, Spirit of the Living God, to fill us once more. Come Lord Jesus. Lord, you are my portion. You're all. 